and welcome to session number four of the Tea Curious Podcast, where we explore tea theory, techniques, and tea stories to help us grow in our own tea journey. So today we've got an old friend back, someone who always shares some insane value and knowledge about poor whenever we talk, and that's our friend who is a poor tea specialist, that's Jeffrey McIntosh. And Jeffrey's kind of my go-to guy whenever I have a question about poor. I mean, I make my own decisions on my own and I try to do my own research and there are other people I ask too. But, you know, as much as we want to know all the things in tea and learn all the things and master all the things, I think realistically we can only learn so much by ourselves. So when I have something that I'm wondering about poor, instead of just trying to figure it out by myself, I ask Jeff. And he's someone who spends all of his time on this, really, really specifically studying poor, and he's worn many hats in the industry. Jeff has learned about poor from Chinese tea masters, is fluent in Mandarin, has opened multiple tea businesses over his time, and has helped other companies source poor as well. And today he's a poor specialist and educator who helps people make like investment decisions in poor. So he's kind of a knowledgeable guy. And that's just dope. But specifically the reason why I respect and trust Jeff, and it's important to have someone like this, is because I've seen him go through the ups and downs to get this knowledge. I think we started working in tea around the same time. We were both some of the youngest kids trying to make it through the industry. So I saw him just like, get beat up, like get back up, try to get this knowledge, try to like make mistakes, try to learn about poor. And poor is not easy, you know? It's this really complicated market with a lot of money that can be made and lost and produced in Yunnan, which is this crazy big tea region in China that you can spend days and days just trying to like get through. Poor is not easy. So I really appreciate that Jeff has gone through those ups and downs and even some hardcore mistakes sometimes that are just part of the journey. The not so glamorous beginning, so to say. And it's cool to see how even poor veterans like Jeff have to start somewhere. So thank you, Jeff, for sharing your story in full unfiltered detail and laughing about the journey along the way too. Here we go. All right. Um, Jeff, welcome to the Tea Curious Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, we were talking before this, but it's just such a pleasure to have you on. Um, I'm so grateful for your openness to teach us all the time. And yeah, we spent a little bit of time discussing over Jeff because, um, you know, we don't have the time to learn about every single tea. It's not possible. And um, I'm happy with that. But I'm also happy to be able to go back to you whenever we have a poor question or if we're lost along the way. You're so generous and knowledgeable and humble, and I really appreciate that. Well, a lot of kind words. Thanks for sharing. I don't know if I share myself in the same light, but if uh, we can provide a little benefit and learn together, all the better. Yeah. So for a little bit of background um, as to why, you know, we like Jeff so much. Um, Jeff came to me at, you know, a period of time where I was kind of kind of wavering in my interest in poor. And um, a friend of mine, Eric, Glass from St. Louis took me to see you in LA at uh, at Denong, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll I'll drive you there to see Jeff, and it'll be fun." And I like Jeff, but we'll drink some poor. And I feel like you kind of pulled me back at that moment from kind of my uh, poor lull. You know, I was just uh, coming out of a string of pours I didn't like that were just hurting me, giving me headaches, or just not not jiving with me. You know, so. That's where we reconnected maybe three or four years ago, but we've known each other for a while. So uh, I just wanted to ask, you, you know, even from before then, how did you get into tea and this journey? Sure. I think uh, my initial 
the discovery of poor and tea is probably very similar to other people. Um, very young, enthusiastic. Um, I think when I was first getting into tea, I was like going to college. I dropped out of high school, I went to college, so a little bit of a rebel. And then I went to photography school, culinary school, very stressed, was working in a restaurant at night, going to school during the day. Um, probably not the healthiest person, probably didn't have the best habits. And then I went into like small little tea shops that they had throughout Seattle um, and drank some tea. And I didn't even start with tea. It was like chrysanthemum flowers. And I was like, this is so relaxing. So I put some chrysanthemum flowers in a Japanese dollar store. I got like a soy sauce teapot maker and I put tea leaves in there and I was like making it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was in the dorm room and then all the people were much older than me because I was like 15, 16 at the time. In college, I was like, with my little soy sauce teapot brewing chrysanthemum. I'm like, you should drink some of this stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> and then people were like, you're super weird. And so, oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's how the tea got in. And then later on, I started to slowly meet other people and I started to see, I wanted to find other tea shops that sold tea. And then I stumbled on Seattle Best Tea, which I think many of us know here in Seattle area. She's quite the character. And uh, went in there and they introduced me to High Mountain Oolong which I think is a really great way to get people introduced to tea. Just so, it's just so easy to get it into that type of aroma and taste. But I tried some Mount Oolong and I drank a cup and I was like, why does this taste so good? It's so different than any other type of tea. It's like floral and aromatic and tasty. And, and I bought a can and I'm like, why is this like a hundred dollars? This is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I just drank it every day. And then, I don't know really what happened. I was on and off and crazy and just drinking tea. I mean, the whole idea of quality and different genres of tea is just totally above my head at that time. It was like, oh, loose leaf, that equals quality. I'm in a weird Chinese Taiwan tea shop. I must be drinking the creme of the creme. So I didn't really get into quality at that time. But I started to drink more, started to meet other friends at the tea shop. And then the owner allowed me to, to work there for like lunch. They cooked me lunch and I was there for like six months. I just made tea for people. Still didn't really know what I was doing, but I was just like, it's so healthy and so tasty. (laughs) Um, So I was just kind of infatuated with that. And then there's a group of older gentlemen that would come in on the weekends and they would drink poor. And the first time I had poor, I think it was just some random experience where it literally tasted like mud and dirt. And (laughs) I heard all these jokes from China about, oh, you know, it's like, they just put dirt in a cake and press it because it's from China because, you know, you're in a Taiwanese tea shop. So maybe there's some bias there towards Chinese <laughs> agricultural products. Oh, my gosh. And so I was like, well, I'm never going to drink Chinese poor again. And then this group of older Chinese men that came in and American men, they came in and drank poor on the weekends. They were like, oh, drink some poor. And I never tried it. And after a few weeks, they're like, oh, come on, Jeff, just try some poor. And so I tried it and it was very tasty and it hadn't been anything like I experienced before with poor. Very kind of mellow, sweet, stone fruit, rich. And so I said, where in the world did you get this tea? And they said, well, it's Denong tea. And at that time, there was no Denong shop here in America. And the owner wasn't here. A woman named Linda Louie imported it. And she has like a little bonnet tea company, which some of us are probably familiar with. And so she offered some of those teas. And I was like, this is so tasty. Can I buy some? And they're like, sure, we'll buy in a big order from her next week. You want to join in? I was like, sure. Like, well, I'm buying like eight cakes and 20 cakes of this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just want one cake. <laughs> um, and I'm like, these people are really bizarre and spend a lot of money on tea. 
And so I, I got a, a take or two, shared it with my family and friends. And they're like, why is this pour so tasty? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just pour, I guess, but it's tasty. And then I started to buy a lot. A lot of, I don't know why, I started to buy a lot of pour from these people. And then Linda Louie invited me to go to China with her and a university professor here in Washington to go for a two-week trip with her to visit Jingmai Mountains and then also wow. visit her tea master, Vesper Chan, and her other tea master, Elaine Lowe of Danong, which she was more acquainted with. And then Elaine Lowe made an introduction to Vesper Chan for her. And so we went to the tea mountains and I'm still just a really big troublemaker. Like the farmers are there and they're like brewing the tea and they're like, you want to smoke a cigarette? I'm like, yeah, it's so cool. And then, they, <laughs> and then it, the university professor and Linda like look at me like with devil eyes, like you should not be smoking cigarettes. And so I'm just like along for the ride. So fun. I'm not really digesting what I'm seeing in at the farms, right? The amount of wealth some of these farms have letting us see ancient tea trees and actually questioning, are we actually drinking these teas from ancient tea trees? They were just so hospitable. They were so nice. So we did that for two weeks road trip, really opened my mind. And then on the last day, we were going to go meet the owner of Denon, one of our tea masters. And we had visited Vesper Chan and had a really incredible evening with him. And he gave some oolong to the university professor and we drank some of his teas and the older Washington gentleman always said, oh, I can only drink Vesper Chan right poor. I can only drink Vesper Chan right poor. And I say, why? He said, because it's so clean. And the only time I haven't been able to drink Vesper Chan was this weird little company called Da Nong, but I don't even know what that is. So I just drink Vesper <laughs> Chan right poor. And so he just was like, that's his thing. So we went to go meet this gentleman, and he was still pretty active in his career at that time. So that must have been 13 years ago. And so we went to visit his warehouse that was massive and there's tea cakes everywhere. And we drank some tea and it was really tasty. We had a dinner with him and then we left the next, um, next place, which was Danong tea on the last day. And we Wait, saw, Jeff, how, how, how old are you at this time? I think I'm between 17 to 18. That's insane. This is such a yeah. trek. It was, wow. it was very trek, but I, knew, I didn't digest or properly prepare for the trip whatsoever. And I was just going along for the ride. On the last day, we go to the High E Jodian, which is like a very fancy five-star hotel in Quimian. And we go in there, like, why are we here? Well, the tea house is on the second floor. And so we go up to the second floor, and there's this massive pagoda inside this five-star hotel. And you go in... In, uh, in Kunming, that's uh, Yunnan, right? The capital yeah. of Yunnan? Sorry, Kunming, okay. Yunnan. Um, so that was the capital of Yunnan. And we go in there. And this whole pagoda on the second floor of the hotel, five-star hotel, you go in and there's just an oasis, water flowing and like trees and there's private tea rooms and there, there's all these Japanese, I mean, Chinese stewardess that are like in perfect chi piao, like standing very politely in etiquette and you're just like, where in the world am I? And then you go into this room and there's this very short Chinese woman that's dressed very casually, but very expensively screaming and yelling at her employees. <laughs> and then Linda Louie comes in and she goes, Oh, Linda! And then they start talking in Chinese for a while. <laughs> and then we, we all sit down. And then that's Elaine. That's the first time I met Elaine. Wow. The owner of wow. Did not think she was the owner or anyone of importance, but then you see her like that. Oh my goodness. And so we drink tea and then she brings out these famous tea cakes, which once again, I didn't appreciate eating fragrance jade Truly Simple Elegant, a number of other teas from her collection, and like Lao Manu and Lao Banzang. Keep in mind, many years ago, those teas were somewhat accessible. Um, and so we, we had a really incredible experience. 
we were just about to leave when the University of Washington professor says to me, my biggest regret is not going to Japan and learn Japanese. And you're not going to make that bad decision that I made. So here's $500 in your back pocket. You're staying here and not getting on the plane back to America. And you're going to work for this woman. And he's like, Linda, you need to get him a job here. And she's like, well, I don't know. And then they're like, fine. And so they gave me a job. And Linda and Murray, the Washington professor, left. And no one there can speak English. And I can't speak Chinese. So the first two months, I just showed up at the tea shop and did nothing. And this very wealthy Chinese woman, Boz with the Nong, just looking at me, not knowing what to do. So sending her employees to like learn English and Chinese with me. So I was there for a long time. This is crazy. That's the start of my um, journey. And so um, I really realized that poor gave me the opportunity to go to another part of the world, learn another culture, learn a whole new language. And it took many more years after that of actually a lot of big failures to really understand the importance of quality because you get so immersed in the culture, the environment, the people, the stories. I mean, almost that leaves a predominant role in people's experience with tea. And so to get to the level where you've had enough failures and successes and experiences to kind of mellow all of that down and focus in on what is this tea I'm drinking? What is the raw material used to produce this tea? that now I'm starting to compare against other teas. And I think for all tea drinkers, there's a journey we all must go on. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't neglect it. I think it's a very important journey, right, to try all these teas and talk to friends and build a community and build an environment. And maybe that's even more important than the quality in the beginning because you have to do a transition to open your brain to, oh, loose leaf tea is unique. There's tools and wares and people. And, and then once you go there, there's another level to go to and that's starting to differentiate the quality of the tea. And that's a whole new journey that I think took up the majority of how I approach tea that's ever-changing and still is changing today um, and how I approach tea and how I approach life. So hope that answers your question as a, as a start. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of matches up to whereabouts I knew your journey went. But learning about all of these things beforehand imagining like teenage Jeff not knowing anything about poor, drinking oolong, you know, knowing you today, it's really humbling to think about, you know, if it's okay to consider you one of my teachers, like where, where you came from and how relatable that is, you know, how many assumptions we made back then and still make today. And yeah, I just wonder how you, how did you survive in Yunnan as an 18 year old? In the middle of I all didn't. these giants, you know? <laughs> the answer is I didn't survive. <laughs> <laughs> I was a very bad kid, and I got in a lot of trouble. And, uh, yeah, I really owe it to my tea master back then because I ended up in Chinese prison, and then she helped me get out of there, and I came back <laughs> to the U.S., and um, I didn't survive. I was a very troubled kid, like to go to the parties, <laughs> um, consume certain bre- beverages. And then, uh, but it helped me learn Chinese because I was maybe enjoying myself too much. And so it's quite sad to look back when I was this incredible opportunity to learn poor, probably more well positioned than I ever could have been in my life. Mm -hmm. And I did not use it to learn poor. I used it to enjoy what an 18 year old likes to do. Right. So, um, I was at the tea shop every day, probably 12 hours a day, but then go out to the party, see the nightlife of China and then meet a lot of people 
Um, and because I was just so immersed in the tea shop, um, I just drank tea all the time. And so I just built the personality at a young age. Oh, I drink tea. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably the strongest thing that came out of it, as well as the connection to the Dong. Because when I came back to China after that crazy experience, she was obviously very upset with me because I was very irresponsible, 18-year-old. Um, who, was, who was upset with you? My, my, the Danong tea master, Elaine Lowe, she's very uh -huh. upset with me because I was a very irresponsible 18 year old. And so when I came back to America, she was still lucky enough to offer the opportunity to let me stay at her house, <laughs> which was weird because she needs someone to translate English for her when she lives mm -hmm. in America. So she moved to the, America and I lived actually with her for a while. Um, and she made tea for every me. And that's when I started to really learn about four was when I was one-on-one -on -one with her in America, um, kind of trapped in California, drinking tea with her every day, learning Chinese, and she was learning English. opportunity to have been in China. Did you decide that you wanted to stay after your friend gave you the 500 bucks? I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't know how long I would be there. Um, I didn't really have a lot to come back to. I kind of dropped out of my college and high school. There wasn't any career waiting for me. I had no idea what I would do with my career. I was still pretty rebellious and egotistical. So I was like, well, I can do anything. But I didn't have a plan. So I just said, why, why wouldn't I do this? It sounds like it'd be fun. Um, and an experience. And so that's how it ended up. Now, my trips after that were the most productive in my learning. When I go back to China every year after that, I would go visit because um, I missed it because of all those experiences I had when I was there for six months. And so in the middle of all that, reasonable at 18, what made you come back to study with Elaine and finally start to focus? No choice. <laughs> <laughs> no choice, no money, no opportunity. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to feel like I was part of that Chinese experience again. And she offered me to come to California and like, she, she had kind of a plan, but didn't really have a plan. So I was like, well, that'd be funny if I go there because I want to get tea from her. And so I just ended up going to California and living there for a while. And it just got to a point where I just couldn't live on the floor of this wealthy person's house and talk about tea all the time and not leave because she lives in this place in California where I have no way to leave the house. So it's a very weird time. Um, but and I decided, well, if I'm going to leave, I need to do something with my life. And she made that very apparent too. So she said she would give me tea and I could pay her back later. So I actually took suitcases of tea when I left California um, back to Seattle. That's when I opened my first company, Macintosh Tea. I used it. Uh, I sold Denong Tea. That's the first way I funded my business. And that was, I think I was 19 at that time. Wow. 19 with a tea company of the scale that I know you grew Macintosh Tea to. It was, a, yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't much. It was an apartment, no LLC or anything. And I was working with a, a Helio, which is a juice bar, Justin Brotman who was the son of Costco and he used to juice bar. And then I started bringing in tea and then there was a bunch of tea there and he said, well, maybe you should open a company. And so then I transitioned into that. And at that time, when I started Macintosh tea, 
I still had no idea on the difference of quality. I thought poor was poor, and you can get it. Anyone can get it. Just go to China, go there, purchase some tea and sell it. Because um, I myself, my whole experience with tea was the experience, talking to people, the travel, the environment. It was never a technical analysis of quality. So when I started to source and compare and sell teas, I also did not use technical analysis or quality. I simply recreated the experience I had with tea, right? The stories, the emotions, the feeling, and that's what I thought tea was all about. Um, and then obviously I had some big struggles in Macintosh tea as well as successes because I started to go on a journey of sourcing tea myself in Yunnan and not rely on my tea master because I thought, well... You know, American who's 20 years old who can barely speak Chinese can probably find better tea than a very wealthy Chinese person who understands the business, who's been in it 20 years and owns farms and builds multiple companies. My logic didn't go too sound back then, but that's what I thought. And I went on that path of starting to source teas on my own in my early 20s. That's crazy. Um, what I can think of is, you know, these are such big moves you're making at such a young age. And I started in the tea industry relatively young also. And I mean, how do I say this? It's like, at that point, do you even know where the tea is taking you? Or are you kind of like along for the ride because of the circumstances that you've been put into? Maybe it's a combination of both. We don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like... I know what it's like to be that young and, you know, just to be honest, like, I feel like I knew more back than I do now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it feels that way. You think you know more because you know less. So you think you're more confident with the ideas you have. And then the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, um, which I think is one of the beautiful things. And with poor tea, oolong, all these teas, the more you learn, you're going to start to second guess yourself more. It's going to open your mind. Um, and that's part of the beauty, I think. As you go in so confident, the tea's amazing, and then you start to dive in deeper, and then there's a whole other world that we didn't even know existed. Right, right. Yeah. I think you and I know now, like, how powerful and really kind of big the poor world is in terms of, like, just the tea and its capabilities. In the hands of you, you know, 20 years old Macintosh tea, how did that go? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was more, I think it was important, but... You're young, you haven't experienced a lot of failure, you think you can do anything, you think business is easy, you think relationships are easy, clients are easy, selling tea is easy, when none of those things are easy, because you have to really structure it around trust and honesty and building relationships. And before, I didn't really value or understand that. I thought it was as simple as a transaction, buying and selling. Um, and so I would just find the easiest way to get teas in China that had some story or authenticity that I thought it was, and then doing it. And I did it for years, but the story with Macintosh tea, I think it's important to understand, is I built the trust with my customers by not knowing anything about tea because I had so much Denong inventory. And so I sold that for the first year. And I built trust that way with clients. Unknowingly. I thought it was just me or buying tea for me, right? And maybe the clients didn't even understand poor tea at that level. But then I said, what if I bring in a bunch of tea on my own that's much more affordable and lower cost? I can get a higher profit margin and I can do fancy packaging or whatever, and I'll do that. And what happened was when I started to source my own teas, some of my foundational early clients 
um, just kind of waded away, moved away. Without like, just stop buying tea from me, stop talking to me. But then, so um, just ahead. to clarify, uh, Macintosh tea, you started it solely carrying Danong. Yeah. So relying on what you knew from Elaine and from Linda. And then, and then initial now you're transitioning. The initial gift, well, not gift, but like initial inventory that Elaine gave me was how I started. Gotcha. And then now you're starting to change it up a bit. Mm-hmm. I used the proceeds from that to go to China, right? I even met, met people like Scott Wilson, you know, sourcing, and I met all these other people that are doing it on their own. And also my peers were like, well, Jeff, you should just do it yourself. Do something like Scott Wilson. Why can't you do it? It's so easy. <laughs> and I said, yeah, why, why, why can't I do it? It's so easy. It's so easy. We're all t- yeah. We're 20 years old, so we think everything is possible. So I started source teas from Scott, relabeling them. I started source teas on my own, just going to China, finding anyone I knew, just going... I, just, I literally took a bus to Menghai, um, my first trip to Yunnan, back to Yunnan, and with no plan. I just got on a bus to Menghai, and I got off of the city and booked myself at a hotel, and I just met people on the bus, and they went to the tea house, and they sold me tea. And that's how I got into the industry. But of course, that tea's not good. But back then, I didn't know that. I'm in a foreigner in Menghai at a time when there's no other foreigners there. And what year is this? Um, it's a good question. What year is that? must have been 2000. 2011, 11-ish, probably. Yeah. Um, and then I went to all those things. I got a bunch of teas I brought back, and I started selling it. But I had so much more inventory, more inventory than I possibly could ever have. And I noticed the price of these teas was like one-fifth of what Elaine wanted me to pay her for her teas. So I was like, well, I just go to China and buy tea. It's so much cheaper. I'll make tons of money. And I did that, and I had huge inventory, which means my sales went up. And I had new customers because that foundation of referrals that, that kind of catapulted me into these new business. But my initial customers slowly left me. They stopped buying tea from me. So I didn't realize that because there were so many new clients and so many more sales happening that I didn't understand that at all about quality or the reflection on that. And so obviously I just kept pushing that model that was successful of giving them more teas. And I just started to notice that it used to be this calming thing to like, I need to sell more and more weird, crazy stories. I even got to the point of making up stories around certain teas to sell them, um, around wild teas and all these other things that make you feel crazy. And I'm like, that's what poor is about. Because it was easy to sell and market something like that, right? A feeling that no other tea makes you feel, a crazy story that you never heard of before. Right? It's very appealing, unfortunately, to most tea drinkers because they want to hear something new and different. Right. That's how I got started. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's quite effective. Um, and what I didn't realize was I was sacrificing quality every, every year. And what was even more difficult was because I never had a foundation of understanding quality. I was drinking teas like eating fragrance jade next to like weird, crazy wild teas. And I'm like, oh, these are the same quality. And I would do that in client tastings. And like when people, my friends were drinking tea. And you would just drink seven, eight teas in a row, and you'd be like, I just feel so crazy. Well, of course, anyone's going to feel crazy after they drink eight pours. Like, doesn't really matter what's going to happen. So, of course, you're going to be some kind of level of tea drunk. But there's no, there's no environment where I can learn, the client can learn, right? It's just not an educational environment. There is no routine that's being happened. There's no systematic process on serving tea and helping people edu- un- understand the taste profiles between the different teas. It was just like, oh, tea's so crazy. Come to Jeff's house and get tea drunk. 
And so, <laughs> and eventually I got sick. I got super, super sick because I was drinking wild tea all the time. My stomach started getting super messed up. I couldn't sleep. I had weird pains. My stomach was total mess. I couldn't eat certain foods. And then I had to go to acupuncture to kind of get fixed. And it was obviously the tea I was drinking. So I just stopped drinking tea. And I told my tea master that. She's like, no, it's obviously the tea you're drinking because poor is a stomach medicine. So if you're drinking poor and it's messing up your stomach, something's wrong with the tea. Um, and so I think that started to make me reflect, but I still didn't reflect at that time. I just stopped drinking poor. But I still was selling it. Um, and so I started to lose some of my customers and just kind of my interest in it all of it. Um, the Macintosh tea was kind of dying down and I wanted to kind of get re-sparked and joy, like in something. I went to the oolong again, we visited drinking oolong teas. And then I met with, um, the owner of Smacha, which went to a partnership that didn't end out too well, but that kind of re-sparked my joy in the tea business. And I left poor behind, mm-hmm. but I still had, I never forget this. I always had a fond memory of eating fragrance jade. I had like a small cake of it. For some reason, that one particular tea never left my mind through the whole process. All I knew was that was my favorite tea, and that's the best pour I've ever had. Um, but I didn't really understand why. And that's a tea cake that's like $6,000 now or something. It's a Denon tea from Elaine? Yes. Yeah. And you can actually find a Bonna tea. She sells it too. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chinese name is Wanchun Yu. It's a Jingmai ancient arbor cake, one of the first ancient arbor productions of Jingmai from 1998. And it had like a stone fruit, floral, sweet. I mean, no poor can compete with it at that time in my personal little world I had. And so when I went to these new partnerships and companies I was building, I just kind of forgot poor. I would revisit that tea and be like, why is this so good? Um, and that kind of launched into the next business ventures with tea. And I had to rediscover my love for poor. And it actually happened with the business partnership I was in. We went to China with very wealthy people. And we went to all these mountains, these tea mountains, and purchased tea from these very wealthy individuals and these established connections from a very wealthy, predominant Taiwanese business person and Chinese business person. They buy a massive amount from a very reputable company. And then a few months later, the teas arrive and they're horrible. And I was like, how is this possible? Very wealthy people, Chinese and Taiwanese, buying massive amounts of poor and they're just not good. And if they can't do it, what was I buying? And so the, the gears started to click at that time. And, and what, was, uh, what was wrong with them, do you think? It was just, it had no age, real aging potential. Like the ancient arbor and the small bush tea, because we did different productions, ancient arbor, small bush, and ripe, they all tasted the same. There was no distinguishing characteristic between the ancient arbor and small bush. The ripe tea tasted like fish and made people have like headaches. Um, and so that was really concerning. And then we had a partnership fallout, but still I'm not even thinking about quality. I was just kind of bashing in my head. Can my whole life just be a lie? Probably not. I'm probably fine, right? Because that's gonna have, I'm gonna have come to come to fruition and realize that potentially everything I believed about poor was a lie, which is not an easy thing to do. And I still was yeah. pretty egotistical at the time. So I uh, left that, and we had a big falling out, and that was actually very humbling to have that business kind of partnership fall apart because I was so weak and just can't wrap my hand around reality. And then I stayed at the temple for a while, and they said that I should. Uh, 
go start another tea company. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, but I kind of have no other choice because that's what I've done my whole life. Yeah. So I should probably do something in tea. And I had like, I went to the Founders Institute. And I, when I went to the Founders Institute, I met other business owners who thought very differently. I never was a, met with business owners in the tea industry. I just went to China, bought some tea and sold it in an apartment. And how old are you now by this point? I'd say mid-20s. Okay. For this time. And uh, so we opened Shinshan Tea Corporation, which was la- actually later turned into Tea Book. Um, and I just was like, well, I want really clean. I just want to do clean, affordable tea because I realized with all of my experience, I don't know what the best quality tea is, but I do know if you can do something simple, get people clean, affordable, tasty tea, that should be a hit, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, this would be easy. But I didn't really realize that people don't actually care about clean tea or tasty tea or affordable tea. They just care about new tea because loose leaf tea is already like less than a few percentage of the population is actually drinking loose leaf tea. So that's already a huge milestone. And I didn't really wrap my head around that yet. We launched Tea Book. I worked with Duan in Hunan. He works a lot of organic farms, SGS certifications. He understands all that process. It was a way bigger endeavor than I originally thought. Oh my goodness. Sourcing tea from 12 different provinces and every month have a new tea from a different area that don't ever recommend Oof. anyone doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty successful. We raised some money. We had like team and employees and I started to research about business and all these other things. And when I started to dive into business and my mentors and meeting people that were way smarter and wiser than me, it made me start to think differently. And think critically thinking much differently than I did before. And I started to just kind of think over my past experiences with tea slowly and reflect this new way of thinking with my past experience. And I started to digest, what did I do wrong? And it became very apparent, very fast. After I started to talk more, and I wanted to revisit Elaine again and have a conversation with her because I'm older now and I can kind of reflect on what happened. At first, she didn't want to talk to me ever again. She didn't want to meet me. She just thinks that was a lost cause. Um, and then Linda kind of felt that way too. And then it's kind of interesting how all this, yes, everything, people change and their ideas change and how they become open or closed minded and affects with everyone. Cause my kind of reversing, making a lot of mistakes and then getting better. People can also do the opposite, believe it or not. So you also want to think about that. Why radically open-minded. This is very important. Anyway, get off topic. So, uh, I was kind of thinking back, building this company, meeting with Duan, and then I started to pry at Duan a little bit. I say, poor, poor, I want to get good quality poor. And he's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And I was like, why? He said, no one can do that. You know, you're not super wealthy and connected. And I'm like, I just want some clean, tasty poor. It doesn't need to be old tea trees. He said, oh, that's fine. So we go there. We do a production of poor, a really tasty poor, actually, from 50, 60-year-old tea trees from his friend from college. And he bought a mountain. And then he planted uh, trees on it, and he has like these little yellow bug things to catch the bugs, so he doesn't use pesticides. And he waited 20 years before he started producing tea. And he's like, well, you can't do small bush because it's too rough on your stomach. So he used the first 20 years to make white tea, which was super tasty white tea, and high elevation. And then we purchased this tea from him that was pretty affordable. And I'm like, well, that was great. I sold it all out in tea book, the first run. Let's do another production. I go to Duan, and Duan just is laughing. And I was like, what? Let's do it again. He said, he's a friend. He gave us a 50 kilo production for cheap because he's a friend. I'm like, well, I'll buy more. He's like, it's seven times the price. I'm like, for what? Small bush tea? Are you crazy? 
He's, he's like, it's clean. Because poor is a limited resource. And this is, I think, a good concept for everyone to kind of digest and think about. Poor is a limited resource. It is a scarce resource. It can only grow in Yunnan. Other teas can grow anywhere in the world. Just processing your region, you can get white, green, long, black teas. It's amazing. But poor is a limited resource. And then when you start to say, well, I want that limited resource, but I want a particular old tea tree varietal. Well, now you're talking less than 3% of poor from Yunnan is going to be from there. And so as a business perspective, I was very business-minded back then. It opened my mind to seeing how impenetrable good quality poor had become. And so I just started to think, what is the, the realistic reality that I'm actually sourcing good quality? And that's when I realized and I had the epiphany, oh my goodness, I was just sourcing who knows what back then. And the difference between an individual and a massive business with wealth and connections and knowledge is always going to outperform an individual in a scarce resource commodity. And so that's what poor is. And so then I realized, well, I have to re-educate myself. And that's when I started to just start to slowly on my own, I was still running a tea book, just started sampling poor again, going in my inventory, trying those teas, just ever so slow often, reaching Denon's again. And then just drinking one or a couple of teas a day and be like, there was a very big difference between the teas I was drinking and the teas I'm drinking now and the teas from Denong and the teas that I find from all these other small companies that are selling. Tea needs to be comfortable. And remember, my stomach got really messed up before, so my stomach was still very sensitive. I'm a vegetarian, so I'm very uh, sensitive to the effects of tea on my body. Um, and I realized that there are only a few types of teas, very few, that when I drank them, I felt comfortable. I said, maybe there's something to it. And that's when I started to dive in more and more on using quality. What is quality? How do you identify it when you drink it? How should poor make you feel? And that's when I started to find my re-found my passion for poor, quality poor, inside a tea book. I was so stressed every day. I needed to relax. And then we started to grow tea book. And then I actually re-found my love for poor. And I was like, I left tea book to go continue my studies at Denong because I realized it was going to be now or never. Am I going to find the best poor and understand it? Or just let go of that opportunity and keep running a tea book. And so I took a risk and I wanted to become very good at something rather than okay at many things. And so that's what I decided to do. And that was kind of the, the final leg of my journey to really hone in. And now we're here today where I'm not even in the tea industry, but I collect and educate people on poor about using technical analysis and paying attention to your body and thinking differently than other people. Obviously, you're going to find a lot of good information where other people don't want to go. Ask the questions other people don't want to ask. It's the same in other types of investments. This is not financial advice, but going to areas <laughs> where people don't want to look at. It looks too bad or horrible, right? That's where you're going to find opportunity if you're patient enough, diligent enough, and ask a lot of questions. And unfortunately, good quality poor is very similar. There's more so bad experiences than good so you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to second-guess yourself and your peers to continually rise the bar on what quality tea is and what quality tea should do to your body and what should it taste like. Just constantly keep pushing that standard higher and higher um, and find peer groups and people you respect to continue to push that bar higher. And poor is a difficult road. So it's a beautiful road, but you got to push more and more because there's a lot of things to learn within it.
Well, what a tangent. Thanks for listening. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to talk about this stuff. You know, like I've yep. failed and made so many mistakes in the past also, but it is so hard to like just kind of swallow your pride and talk about it. And I mean, I appreciate it, Jeff, because whenever I see you from afar, like I was, I met you first when you were at Smatcha and you seemed to be so put together and so knowledgeable. And by that point, you'd been running Macintosh for so many years. I'm like, wow, Jeff knows so much. And it's not always obvious to the outside perspective what the inner journey is. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you can share that with me as like I go through like my own crap. People think that, you know, oh, you've been doing it for one, two, three, four, five, six, ten years now. You must know the answers by now, right? But there's always a learning journey going on. Yeah, failure is okay as long as we learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now you're here. That's true. Now I'm here. But yeah, I think you've done an even better job with focusing on uh, experiencing the clients, the people, the tea lovers, bringing them together, bringing the community inspiring others, continuing that journey, um, and doing it in a way that's very approachable. I felt like at times when you get too serious, it can be almost a detriment to newer folks. So I think we all play an important role in the tea community. Um, but yeah, I've had my very big, I've had a lot of mistakes. I'm not so, I, I don't, I have a lot of regrets on the decisions I make, but I'm also glad I can learn from them because it's okay for us to make big mistakes if we actually use them as an opportunity to learn reflect, redesign, and then take action, that's when it becomes, that failure has become compounded into an incredibly positive thing. And so we just always got to remember, keep moving up rather than letting that spiral you down, let it spiral you up. Yeah, I I was always looking at you from afar and whatever project you were pursuing at the time, I saw you go through Macintosh and Smatcha and T-Book and back to Da Nang. And people would ask questions, you know, what is Jeffrey up to? But I was always curious. And, you know, also reminding myself of the first time when I met you, I'm not sure if you remember this, but we were at Smasha and you said, it's really nice to meet someone who's the same age, who's into tea as well. And I think I was 20 or 21 at the time. So a little bit behind you in terms of like the ego journey. You know, I thought I knew so much. I thought I was, I always tried to be humble, but that age, it's, it's almost like psychologically impossible to be humble, I think. You know, because you don't know anything. And you said, you know, if there's anything you'd like to collaborate on, let me know. I think we could work together. And you're so open. And I was like, I think I'm good. You know, like I'm doing our own like wholesale stuff. We're good over here. But yeah, thanks. (laughs) And I, I remember that and thinking, you know, years later after like I started doing all this tea curious stuff and like realizing that I, you know, didn't know what I was doing at the time either. You think you know at the time when you're 20, 21, 22, passionate about tea. You have a goal, you have a vision, you have some big dreams. And I look back at then and like, wow, I was so stupid. I wonder what me and Jeffrey could have done. I mean, whether it's a business or not, but like we could have had tea. We could have like Mm. talked about something, learned together, you know, made some mistakes or just traded notes. But I was just so close-minded to that. And then I met you again in 2017 in the same place of not wanting to think about poor just because Eric Glass wanted to go to Denong. I'm like, I'll drive you there and I'll say hi to Jeffrey. You know, stubborn, right? (laughs) So it's, it's what I'm saying is it's great to be able to share and laugh about it now. And, you know, whatever humilities are coming for us, Jeff, you know, I'm happy to laugh with you about it later on too. (laughs) That's right. 
we we welcome it. That's how we grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot. And if any of you have listened to me and Jeffrey talk before, just Jeffrey in general, he is so full of like incredible knowledge um, at this stage. And I'm sure as time goes on, we'll continue to learn more from you. Um, maybe we'll have to co- have you come back on for another one because every single time we have Jeff, it's just an amazing amount of knowledge, both left brain and right brain, which I appreciate. Um, but for now, I wanted to, you know, catch up with you with what we were talking about before the recording, which is, you know, seems like a more left brain kind of approach now that you're taking to Puar. Where are you at today with your journey? Sure. Yeah, it's definitely developed a lot. I think my time has become more valuable with career changes and become a little more isolated. Now I'm getting married, spending more time with my family is I'm looking at the way I approach tea differently. And I also help advise people on investing in poor, which sounds like a very strange topic. Don't usually recommend that for people here in the West, but in China, it's a very active thing. There's auctions, poor auctions can get very, very expensive. And so I help people kind of identify quality tea, purchase tea, and then essentially invest in it in a lot of ways. And so that's actually what led me into the investment world where I am now. But now when I look at tea, there's, there's moments of tea when you, when you find a new brand, a new wrapper, a new mountain, a new age tea, a new collection, whatever it is, where we get very excited. One, because it's a very different thing that we haven't experienced before. It's very foreign. And maybe it's all the rage. Maybe the bloggers are talking about it. Maybe the um, friends are talking about it. But you have to remember, there's a lot of noise in the world. And just because you have to think with blogs and peers and articles, they need to continually talk about new things. Otherwise, how will they retain their audience? It would be very boring to do a blog post about the same tea for two years, right? Maybe that'd be fun for some people, but most people, they're going to tune out real fast. So there's, a, there's an incentive for them to produce certain content and to bring new things to your attention. And unfortunately, I feel America and our culture is very similar with any kind of thing. It doesn't just have to be tea. I mean, anything, the new gadget or, or gizmo that comes out, we got to have the new one. And so our minds tend to look at new and different is better. But with scarce commodities of any kind, I'm a, I'm a big believer that great is always better than new. And sometimes there needs to be a foundation and there needs to be a track record and there needs to be a foundation of something of good quality um, that can stand the test of time. And poor in particular, I think, falls into this thought process better. Because green teas and oolong teas are very season-focused. They have a fresh time period. They have a shelf life. Maybe that's important. But with poor, there is not a shelf life. The, the more you age it, the better it is. And so when you approach a tea that way, maybe it's not beneficial to buy a bunch of poor that's new and different. Because who knows the quality and if you always buying something new from the provider, and if it's really true, good quality poor gets more expensive with age. And if it's really true that only less than 3% of poor is from old tea trees, wouldn't that also mean every year it's harder to get that tea? It's more expensive to get that tea. And so you want to use that thought process to really consider and look at what am I buying from who? And 
because of my kind of new interest in investments and analyzing things, you, we all know that you want to take emotion out of things like that because they can have a very detrimental thing and you want to think of the long term, not the short term. Because if you focus on the short term, you'll get very emotion. There's going to be ups and downs. And so poor, you also want to focus on the long term. And so when I try to purchase poor, I try to take the emotion out of it now. And I try to implement rules. Um, one, I think many people know is the three-day rule. And that rule is very important before purchasing a large quantity of poor. Because you want to know, is this tea, one, I can drink it every day for three days and feel comfortable, and know what I'm feeling is coming from that tea. That's a very important concept. Right. But uh, also, we, we did a uh, we did a we did an interview with Jeff about this that I'll link below for those of you who haven't listened to it. A wonderful concept. Oh, great! Yeah, if you have that, even better. Um, and once you you drink that tea, I say you feel comfortable. But what's more importantly is after three days, are you still craving that tea? Do you still want to drink that tea? Because that's a huge characteristic of quality and value. So we understand it's comfortable. We understand we want to drink it. Then it makes sense to purchase more of that tea. Because tell you the truth, I bet most of your teas can't pass that test. Because you're going to get bored of them. And so once you understand inherent quality of a tea, that will make your purchases better. But then you want to go to the next step. And this is what I've started to implement more recently. When there's like pre-orders and there's like these weird sales prices and prices are going up every year and changing all the time, it can get very hectic and hard to digest what's going on and make a more emotional decision. And that's where you want to isolate yourself from, I don't know, blogs, internet, and just focus on your tea table and a notepad and spend a few weeks with your tea collection, pull out different teas, drink them, then write a little Excel document or table and put all the teas up top and then how on the left-hand side, do characteristics you like about the tea. One could be like the durability of the tea. How does this tea make me feel? The aroma, the taste, does it pass the three-day rule? How many grams do I need to use to get the best flavor from this tea? Do I like the wrapper? Is this a seasonal thing? And you may notice when you first sit down and drink the tea, you're like, well, this wrapper's awesome. This mountain's awesome. But after you compare it with four other teas, you revisit it four times, maybe the mountain's no longer as important. Because who knows if it's really even from that mountain? And what you really want to see is what is the actual taste profile of this tea? And then you want to weight those decision-making processes. So for me, durability of the tea and how many grams I use is a really high-weighted priority. That's important to me. Because if I can use less grams and get a lot of abundant tasting steepings, well, that's an inherent result to the quality of the raw material of poor, which would naturally lead me towards more old tea tree material because they're more abundant, I can use less grams, the other teas can't pass that test. Now, I don't know what is the best characteristics, everyone will be different, but if you start to evaluate teas in a very systematic, logical point, and then reflect on them and keep notes, and then make a purchase decision off of that. One, in the future, you're not going to second-guess yourself when you have a guest come over and drink a tea and they say, oh, I don't like this tea. Well, you'll be like, I very heavily weighted this decision process from a logical <laughs> mindset, and I like this tea, and it has value to me. Wow. Um, and that will make you more confident when you're serving tea. That will make you more confident about the teas you've spent your hard-earned money on. Um, and also people will say, well, then how do I know how the tea has a lot of value? What tea should I invest in? 
Well, T is not going to have any value if you don't yourself understand quality and enjoy the tea. If you don't understand the quality, don't enjoy the tea, guess what? You're never going to be able to sell it to someone. And so I think it's really important to make more and more decisions like that because then when you do have a strong inventory that you understand and can reflect on and you're serving tea, you're never going to second deck yourself. You're going to be super confident um, and you're not going to have to worry. And it's going to be more time for you to enjoy the conversation rather than, oh my goodness, is this person going to like the tea I'm serving? Um, not an approach for everyone, but that's the approach I've started to um, use and I make less errors. I, I don't buy teas that I kind of like because there's a good price and that price is a heck of good. I got to buy a lot of that tea. It doesn't matter how good the price is if you don't truly enjoy the tea, right? Sometimes it's worth paying a premium for a tea you, you, you truly enjoy. That's really helpful for me because um, I think, you know, learning from you about the pour that I like, I think I've gotten to the point that now I'm comfortable, uh, now that I'm, I, I'm comfortable saying what pour I like, because I can tell from what I like in terms of taste and body and durability, what's good for me, right? But now I'm starting to grapple with, okay, then how can I be confident sharing this with my friends who may or may not have the same taste or may ask me why I use three grams of pour per 100 ml? You, you're about the same ratio too, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit crazy. And why, you know, why not this brand? And why this brand? Why do we talk about Denong so much? And of course, everyone will like something different. And I want to accept that. But I'm also starting to want to feel more confident in what I like and like, be able to joyfully and just outright tell people, this is good tea. This works for me. It may not work for you, but I'm happy to serve this for you. And this is why. Um, I think that'd be a good approach for me to take because I don't have the confidence quite yet, I think. <laughs> you know? I think, I think you definitely probably are uh, not giving yourself as much credit as you should give yourself because you definitely, I think, made a big impact more so than most people on poor and education but also that kind of loops back around to when we first get into pour, we get very excited, extremely excited, very emotional. Wow, pour, tea, oolong, this is so crazy. I want to share it with everyone. And then you kind of go through this weird stage of like, what tea should I buy? And what's good and what's bad? And then you go through this stage of just wanting to try everything. And most people stop there. But if you can push yourself to simplify. Um, there was a really good quote about if you want to become smarter, you try to do more and learn more. But if you want to become wiser... You minus things, you take away things because then you can focus in on your energy and understanding on a few select things rather than a lot of things, which allows you to enjoy tea, understand tea. And now I'm actually trying to simplify the tea process to the point where maybe in the beginning I was already at Chris Anthem flowers in a soy sauce teapot, happiest day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so we almost want to simplify it back down to where we started, but just substitute in really high quality. And then th that's the beautiful world of tea right there. If we can do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I thank you for this tea that I'm having right now mm -hmm. during the recording. It's Jade Leaves Danong, you know, and it makes me happy. And I'm, I'm glad I'll be able to have the tools to like keep sharing that happiness with people. And Jeff, your journey is amazing. Um, there's so many more stories to tell, but thank you for sharing what you did today. Um, where can we find you if we want to learn more from you? But I'm going to drag you on again for another episode. But in the meantime, sure. where are you going to be? <laughs> um, I'll be in a little house in the uh, state of Washington. <laughs> but uh, um, I did open a uh, 
tea, tea tasting studio here on Airbnb Experience. So you can find Airbnb Experience, uh, Jeffrey McIntosh, um, poor tea tastings if you're in the Seattle area. Also, I have a Patreon, um, Jeffrey McIntosh. I also have a YouTube, Jeffrey McIntosh, poor tea will pop up. A lot of really nice, short, non-tangent, educational, poor tea videos that are free and open to the public. Um, so if you want to get more in-depth, Patreon. If you just want to have access to more information, check out YouTube. And if you're in Seattle, you're more than welcome to stop by our Airbnb experience tea tasting. Thank you, Jeff. And if there's just one last thing really quick that you could tell someone who's listening to this, who is just trying to learn, what do you think that would be? I think with tea, um, trust yourself, trust your experience. It's far more valuable than other people's opinions um, because you only you will know how deep you want to go. And it's very difficult to understand how deep other people are. So just trust yourself, trust your experience, um, and push yourself to rise your standard and second guess all the time. Thank you, Jeff. It's been wonderful having you, and we'll see you next time. All right. You know, take care. And that's it. Thanks again, Jeff, for taking the time to share your story. And yeah, just such a great reminder that even the greats that we look up to really had to go through so much to get that knowledge and experience they have today. Quite the winding road to get there, and that's all right. It just takes time and a willingness to go through the bumpy parts to be able to get where we want to be. You can follow Jeff on his YouTube channel at Jeffrey McIntosh, Poor Tea, and also on Instagram at Jeffrey H. McIntosh, and we'll have links in the show notes for other related resources. And as for us, you can always find us at Tea Curious on Instagram, and our DMs and emails are always open. You can hit us up at hello at teacurious.com. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Have a good one. Hope your tea is good today. 